So Lectio, we're going to read Psalm 135 to 7 uh, from the voice version of the Bible because I like it. Um, I've changed program, uh, the pronouns to reflect God as having both male and female characteristics and so use them and their rather than his and him. So uh, as, you, as we get to that, you'll see the, the capital T for them and the capital T for their. Um, so as I read this first time, listen out for any word or phrase that captures your attention or just grabs your heart. So Morgan, if you want to share that screen for me. So I wait for the eternal. My soul awaits rescue. I have put my hope in their transforming word. My soul waits for Yahweh to break into the world. More than night watchmen expect the break of day. Even more than night watchmen expect the break of day. O Israel, ground your hope in the eternal. For in the eternal lives the most loyal love. And with them comes the most abundant redemption. So which um, words or phrases capture your hearts, grab your attention? We are talking about patience today, and there is much waiting in patience, which is why I chose this passage. The phrase um, for me that, that caught my uh, attention was, I wait for the eternal. The eternal being the person of God, I wait for them. So what, um, what captured you? Maybe you could drop that into the chat. Mine is I wait for the eternal. most abundant redemption, yeah. Okay, I'm gonna read it a second time. So as I reread the verses, notice any feelings that arise within you, any situations that come to mind where you long to see Yahweh breaking in, like the break of day, where you long to see the eternal come. So I wait for the eternal. My soul awaits rescue. And I put my hope in their transforming word. My soul waits for Yahweh to break into the world. More than night watchmen expect the break of day. Even more than night watchmen expect the break of day. O Israel, ground your hope in the eternal. For in the eternal lives the most loyal love. And with them comes the most abundant redemption. So notice any feelings that come up in you or any situations that come to mind. As I read it again, I just do I feel hopeful as I wait? Do I feel the deep, weary longing of a night watchman or actually even just have the assurance of the watchman who's been here before and knows that the sun will rise? and that dawn will come. And then uh, one last time, I'm gonna read the verses and let's just ask the eternal to say what they wanna say about this. 
through this, from this, or about anything at all. So one more time. So I wait for the eternal. My soul awaits rescue. And I put my hope in their transforming word. My soul waits for Yahweh to break into the world. More than night watchmen expect the break of day. Even more than night watchmen expect the break of day. O Israel, ground your hope in the eternal. For in the eternal lives the most loyal love, and with them comes the most abundant redemption. O eternal one, ground our hope in your loyal love and abundant redemption. We wait for you. Amen. Thanks, Morgan. And let's pass it over to John and Susie, who are going to lead us in communion. Hey there. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Hey, uh, we're doing communion this morning, and uh, Susie found a cool liturgy online that was written by uh, Reverend Mary Johnson from Baltimore. Um, and it's got just a cool feel. It's called a communion liturgy celebrating cultural diversity. Jesus, you are true to who you are and reveal to us the glories of your presence. You are a God of love who speaks against oppression and injustice. You are a God of grace who asks us to forgive those who are blind to their privilege even as you invite the world to learn from you. You are the creator God who weaves the beauty of diversity into something fresh and new, the garment of understanding and wonder. You call us to follow you out of the familiar and comfortable and to live by faith, calling upon your holy name and trusting in the power of your grace. Because you show your mercy to every nation and people upon the earth, because you speak every language and delight in every culture, we join in your praise with all the earth. Because you have embraced people from every continent, have walked with all of our ancestors, continuing to hear your praise even in forgotten languages that are sung continually around your throne, we join in their endless praise saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed are they who come in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. God, you are holy, and Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Leaving all that was familiar in heaven, Jesus was born unto the people and the culture of Israel. Jesus was taught the language and the traditions of his family. Jesus worshipped at the temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus knew that you, O oh God, loved the world so much that you wanted everyone to be saved, even if it meant great personal sacrifice. When culture dictated that the least important act was to wash feet, Jesus broke with social convention, left the seat of honor, took off his robe, and with a towel and a basin in his hands, he knelt and wash the feet of the one who would betray him, wash the feet of the one who would deny him, not once but three times, and the feet of those who would desert him, 
to save their own lives. And in that same way, Jesus invites us to do the same. As an expression of culture, Jesus took the bread. And remembering the historical struggles of his people, shared it with everyone saying, take, eat, this is my body given to you. And as an expression of culture, Jesus took the cup and remembering the historical struggles of his people, shared it with everyone saying, drink with me, all of you, for this is my blood poured out as a witness to the divine covenant of forgiveness with you and with the whole world. Go ahead and take you, you sir, wine. So out of specific culture, Jesus works cross-culturally to bring salvation to the whole world. Jesus came not to save his own people, but all peoples. Jesus came not to save his own economic class, but those of any class. Jesus came not to save those of his own gender identity, but those of every gender identity. We testify that this mystery of salvation found in Jesus Christ is for all. When we say, Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Let's pray. Jesus, use these simple gifts of bread and wine to become for us the body and blood of Christ, source of your transforming power. Jesus, use the simple gift of our lives, our culture, our faithfulness, and our dreams to become for the world, the church, the authentic body and devoted bride of Christ, source of your transforming power. Jesus, be with all those called to cross the social boundaries of race and culture to boldly go where only your grace could send them. Give them the courage to accept your challenge, to pick up their cross and follow you. And in your faithfulness, Jesus, set the captives free, restore the sight to the blind, liberate the oppressed, and help us to share the good news of the availability of your grace to all. Amen. Amen. And this uh, liturgy ends with a short benediction. Be blessed by the presence of Christ. Be blessed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Be blessed by the creativity of God the Father, the divine inspiration, to whom we will continually give all glory, thanks, and praise. And is it okay if we pay, pray for Karina uh, before she starts? So Jesus, give Karina your words, your thoughts, your intentions, the power of your spirit to communicate what you want us to hear. Lord, give us open ears to hear that, Lord. Open hearts, open minds. Yeah, in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for that, John and Susie. I, there I am. So um, this is an interesting morning for me. What this was supposed to be was my second time preaching in person in my life. So, you know, we just got to be a little bit patient 
with COVID, freaking patient with COVID before we get to be together again. I think it's right that we're not together, but I just want to acknowledge that like, there's just a lot of disappointment and things that are like hard that come with this COVID business. So that's for starters. Yeah, I don't love that journey for me either. I don't love that journey for any of us. So may we be able to be together soon. We look forward to that day with great hope while acknowledging this moment is maybe like our second favorite. So um, I've had an interesting experience with all of this. Just got to get my stuff together here. Um, last week, when Eden mentioned that it was you know, interesting how she had really needed to work to find her peace leading up to her sermon on the virtue of peace. And then talking with Sarah this morning, she talked about how it just been really difficult to like land the sermon that she had preached on, on joy. And um, I, I just, you know, I nodded in agreement when, when Eden and Sarah said those kind of things, knowing that that is often the case for me as well, that you will like, have a topic that you're circling around and it'll feel like, you know, a bit of that you're like on the struggle bus a little bit in one way or another around that. So even before I started officially um, preaching, you know, when I was at a previous church, I was a worship leader and whatever a theme for that weekend service was, I would become aware of all the ways that that theme was like a struggle for me. And, and I was pretty confident that I was going to be face to face with my old nemesis patience this week. But I was also feeling pretty confident because I was expecting it. I was ready to be tested and tried in all things patience. And I knew that there would be like lots of opportunities because we have been in an extended season of practicing patience in our family. Over the last almost exactly a year, we have embarked on a massive total home renovation backyard and main floor completely gutted and remade and we are actually in the final weeks of that process but we are not done yet and um just because I like to keep things at level 10 in my life I'm also doing a master's program I know I've mentioned that before don't expect me to stop anytime soon I love it and it's been extremely challenging at times challenging enough that when it started a few years ago I ended up back in therapy and in my doctor's office, all of which has revealed a now almost year old late diagnosis of ADHD. My life makes so much more sense now. And the work that I'm doing in therapy is brutal and beautiful and helping me in so many ways. But like this house, I'm close, but not finished yet. The chaos kind of has returned really loud this week because we're trying to like move back in in a way that allows us to exist here. And my house and my life is a very apt reflection of my inner world. There's been a lot of chaos and disruption, but it's all moving towards this existence that is more truthful, more authentic and more beautiful. And I mean, who doesn't want that, right? So this week, this week just like picture me feeling ready to be, be, be patient. And imagine my surprise that even though I'm happy to say I really, really consistently was able to access high levels of patience for everything that happened around me, 
Or if I didn't, I was able to like quickly move out of impatience and into a more like patient existence. Anyways, the whole thing is just its own like disorder to reorder process. I have been so patient with my circumstances and people around me, not perfectly, but in a way that's conscious and hopeful. But no matter how much patience I offered to my world outside of me, no matter how much I noticed that my brain was really struggling to focus and get coherent thoughts on paper with all the chaos around me here at home, nothing was turning into a sermon that made sense. Imagine my shock at 8.35 this morning when I realized what I'd been kindly and patiently slogging my way through for the past few days with increasing intensity was not going as planned. I wasn't just having trouble landing the plane of this sermon. It was headed for a crash landing into a mountainside. It was going to just be, I don't know, a great conflagration. I Picture me at peace and being so patient, but then having to, this morning, just hit the shower and have a good cry, get myself ready enough to be with all of you and start writing a sermon again, a different, not different, but different sermon at 9.15. How did this happen? I was nailing the patience thing, but it was not producing the intended result of a, turn, a sermon or a, a talk or some coherent thoughts to share with you all. And I know you're gracious, you wouldn't care, but I did because every time I'm allowed to share my voice and my thoughts here in church, part of me is healed and more opened up. And I'm forever fascinated by sharing the good news of the gospel that was hidden from me under the oppressive blanket of evangelicalism for decades. I never get tired of sharing the good news, so why? Why wasn't it happening? And then my friend Sarah texted me that she was praying for me. And my friend Stacy said that, there, that she believed in me this morning. And Sarah sent a picture with um, Charlie Maxey, I think that's how you say his last name, the author. Anyways, and it said, one of the kindest things you can do, said the mole, is to be kind and gentle and patient with yourself. Well, cue the tears. I thought that if I was impatient enough with my situation this week, I would be rewarded with some coherent thoughts that I could share with you all. Instead, I realized that there had been this quiet subtext, an unhelpful inner narrative that isn't quite comfortable with all this patience I've been practicing with my circumstances, but failing to give an equal measure to myself. I think there's a part of me that still believes if I'm patient, I will fail. I won't do and become all that God wants for me to become. I mean, I'm almost 45 and there's still so much in my heart that I want to do that I don't know how it will all happen. And being patient and trusting in people and process and the providence of God, it turns out it's really hard for me even when I'm being patient. But despite all this, I still have some things to share about patience and how I think we have permission to understand it differently and maybe learn some gracious practices that will increase our capacity for it. I've got to practice some of them in only the last, you know, two and a half hours. 
I had wanted to frame this sermon in the context of the patience of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the way that she practiced, well, no, embodied patience and gracious waiting throughout her whole life. So I'm going to give it a go here, just a quick flyby on one little part, and then I want to talk about the permission she gives us to engage differently with patience. So before I start, I would say that the normal cultural narrative we have around patience is basically patience is the ability to wait longer than you want through difficulty and painful circumstances without getting angry or frustrated. Merriam-Webster's agrees with me. And all of the Bible-y pages that I looked up over the past week basically agreed that this was a good Christian definition of patience. The only problem I had was that Though the Bible talks a lot about the need for patience and the value of patience, I couldn't find any examples or nothing came to mind that demonstrated patience as being about not getting angry when things are hard. Patience is always connected to waiting in some way, but it seems to me that it's the feelings of agitation with the waiting that brings up your need to practice patience. So it's kind of like with that definition that patience is about not getting irritated or angry, you've kind of lost before you've even started. Like if you weren't struggling, frustrated, sad, or angry sometimes in your waiting, you're just waiting. You're not being patient, right? But when I look to the Bible, what it exposes is that there is a lot of painful waiting when you are human. I wonder, <laughs> just now I'm wondering, like. God waits too. God has to wait as well. It's part of being together is waiting for one another, waiting for things to happen. And there's a way to engage with waiting that is maybe more helpful than others. But if we think that patience is about not being angry or frustrated and not saying something when hard things happen, or just like tolerating and suppressing our responses, we, we might miss it. In her book, Those Who Wait, author Tanya Marlowe says this, there's not a straightforward solution to the struggle of waiting, nor is there a list of action points so it feels less like waiting and more like doing. I don't offer these because I don't see these in the Bible stories. The Bible does not disguise the discomfort of waiting. Instead, I see people who battled through difficult times and prevailed. I see people who trusted, doubted, despaired, and trust it again. So often as Christians, we rush to solutions to ease the discomfort. But when we run away from the tension of waiting, it comes back twice as hard. But when we lean into the discomfort, we find God there. And that's what I find when I read the story of Mary. That's what I hear in her Magnificat, in her song. Here's what it says. Um, I'm just going to read from it in Luke chapter one. But, but what I want you to notice or imagine is the potential varied emotional realities that she's talking about here. Notice how many of her thoughts run counter to the cultural narrative that would have dismissed and de devalued her. I can't help but remind us of this context. When in ancient literature, we see a woman mentioned, and especially when we hear a woman speak, you need to remember that the original hearers and readers of the story would have had their jaws hit the floor. After reading the story of Mary leading up to the birth of Jesus, people would have been like, 
Mary, mother of God, I did not see that coming. See what I did there? But it's true. She is a woman who has waited, that belonged to a people that had spent their lives waiting for deliverance. They were well acquainted with waiting and, and it didn't look like suppressing emotions, emotional bypassing or spiritual bypassing, but finding practices to embody and allow those realities to be spoken. So here we go. And Mary said, I'm bursting with God news. I'm dancing the song of my savior, God. God took one look at me and look what happened. I'm the most fortunate woman on earth. What God has done for me will never be forgotten. The God whose name is holy, set apart from all others, his mercy flows in wave after wave for those who are in awe before him. He bared his arms and showed his strength, scattering the bluffing braggarts. He knocked tyrants off their high horses, pulled victims out of the mud. The starving poor sat down to a banquet. The callous rich were left out in the cold. He embraced his chosen child, Israel. God remembered and piled on the mercies, piled them high. It's exactly what he promised. Do I ever love Mary? In my studying for this sermon, I, I eventually I changed the question I was asking the interwebs from what is patience or what does the Bible say about patience to what did Hebrew culture say about patience? And I came across this really great article written by Rabbi Jacob Staub. And I liked it so much that I wanted to share a bit of what he says. He says the Hebrew word for patience is sablanut. The root SVL literally means to bear or to suffer. So this virtue of patience is to bear or suffer something unpleasant or painful without increasing the suffering. Patience, he says, has a different connotation in its contemporary North American usage. It's something you lose, something you possess in limited quantity. If you are patient, you do not get annoyed during a delay. You don't get angry when someone lets you down. You don't explode when someone attacks you. Rather, you say nothing and do nothing. You hold it in until you can't suppress your feelings any longer. Stupid COVID. Then you let it out because you just can't take it anymore. The rabbi says, what if instead of suppressing my anger or upset, I notice these feelings as they arise? so that I'm able to consider the loving and wise way to address the cause of my pain? What if I begin by turning toward my wound compassionately? What if I seek to view the offending party as human, flawed, in pain? What if I'm eventually able to discover a way to confront the other person in a way that allows her or him to hear my concern and my desire to forgive and reconcile? Oh, I like that way better. <laughs> when I hear that, I think patience is the ability to go through painful circumstances, both big and small. We don't need to create a hierarchy of pain and patience. To go through things both big and small without increasing your suffering by denying your emotional response to the pain. 
When I read Mary's Magnificat, I notice lots of emotional realities attached to painful circumstances. She declares her worthiness in a society that would call her worthless. Her history is the history of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now Mary, a woman, is going to be included among those names. She names the pain of her people and declares God's heart for justice and the righteousness of her anger and frustration at a situation that harms those who are not in the center of power. She is a holy troublemaker that spent her whole life waiting and believing that God had not forgotten her and would bring about the restoration of all things through her and through her son. God basically invites her into a lifelong process of patient waiting. Like, like God is not in a rush, is, is he? Is she? Are they? They're not in a rush. God says, you're going to give birth to the Savior. So just like wait nine months and deal with all the social things that happen there with that. And then um, also raise him and wait like 30 years for him to start, you know, impacting his society in a powerful way. And, um, and, then, and then wait till like he disrupts things enough that um, people like murder him. And, and like, but just believe me that this is the path towards the restoration of all things, even if you never see it. Like, will you wait with me, Mary? Will you participate with me and do that? Well, I want to say Holy Hannah, but I probably should just say Holy Mary. Like, that's amazing. I want to have that kind of yes in me and that ability to wait with God and for God and for God to wait through me. So anyway, in the light of all that, I want to talk about a couple things about patience. The first I've already mentioned in a roundabout way, we will not increase our patience by trying to avoid certain emotions or using logic and knowledge to explain why we are in pain. Rather, we have to develop practices and pathways that allow the difficult experiences and emotions attached to waiting to find a mode of expression that is non-harming and helpful. Jewish culture had actually a lot of processes that, that could help embody and metabolize their, the pain. How do we grow in patience? We start with ourselves. I know Eden kind of said the same thing about peace last week. And I'm pretty sure Sarah mentioned that about joy. And I bet as we go through every week, we're going to find that we can't give what we don't first have built in ourselves. Being patient while steeped in judgment and self-hatred will only maybe create tolerance at best for others. But we can do better than tolerance. Learning to be present to what is without judgment is hard and holy work. I have been living and learning that in a big way these past few years. It is, it is exhausting work, but it's worth it. Mary showed me. And the second thing I want to do is, is address a really insidious way that we can misuse the concept of patience, much like joy, like pretending to be happy is not joy. Much like pretending there is no conflict is not peace. Patience is a virtue that becomes abusive when we tell someone who is without power, who is experiencing abuse, marginalization, oppression, to just be patient 
while society or organizations or systems, powers and principalities wait for a comfortable moment to make things better for others. Martin Luther King Jr. talked about this abusive call for patience. He said this, for many years, we have shown amazing patience. We have sometimes given our white brothers the feeling that we liked the way we were being treated. But we have come here tonight to be saved, to be saved from that patience. That makes us patient with anything less than freedom and justice. Amen. When Mary sings her song, she is not afraid to name the oppressive forces and say that she's counting on God to make it right. Change is hard, but very often those in power say to those without that they just need to be patient for things to change. Now, I understand there, there is a process to change, but the discomfort of that process needs to be kept as much as possible in the center of power. We shouldn't be telling women that are being abused to be patient while their partners are abusing them, as though that's going to lead them to not being abused. We need to put that discomfort on the abusers. We shouldn't tell women that we'd love to have you preach and lead, but so-and-so and such-and-such -and -such just aren't ready for that yet. Be patient. I think of my queer friends who are given backdoor compliments of support, like, oh, I'm fine with your queerness, but I just can't be public with that yet. Be patient. And then do nothing to disrupt the process of harm. I'm sorry, but unless you're actively causing discomfort that is leading to freedom and justice for all people, you're misusing patience and people are suffering for it. I didn't get that for a long time. I was a good woman who wanted to find favor within the system. But here's how I determine the pace of patience now. You ask the one with the knee on their neck if we are moving fast enough for them. That is who I think should determine the speed of our change and our justice. Let's not call for patience for people who are suffering when we can do something about it, even if it's costly for us. Second thing, or third, maybe, I want us to think about patience as extreme presence. What is versus what should be. It's what confession actually is, right? Confession is just saying what is. Can we kind of, I feel like, turn confession into this like process where I say sorry. Confession is just being totally honest about what we're feeling, what we're believing, the things that, that were behind our action that gave us permission to do what we did. Again, in her book, Tanya, um, Marlowe says it's only when we describe truly what is that we can make room for what could be. Radical honesty helps us wait well. The third thing I wanted to, to talk about is how do we be patient with one another? And I thought of a phrase that we'll often use. We'll say, be patient with me. Remember those little uh, like pictures that you used to have with like little kids dressed up like adults and like, be patient with me. God isn't finished with me yet. And 
when it becomes like tolerate me, I'm still a hot mess. It doesn't bring a lot of, of comfort. You know, waiting isn't what's hard. That's not what requires patience. I think it's feeling alone in the waiting that makes it hard. And I think of different circumstances in my life where I was feeling frustrated or I was expressing sadness and, and the comfort that I would receive was you just need to be more patient because you know what? It's really hard to be with someone else's pain, especially when we can't even be with our own. So when we get better at being with our own pain, we will get better at being patient with other people. So we can be like, it's the gift that Elizabeth gives Mary when she sees Mary and basically says, I see you, I accept you, I love you, I believe you as you are. I am with you in this journey of bringing about the kingdom of God to the earth through Jesus. When we learn to notice what's going on in us, we can be better at asking for what we need and get the help we need. We can one another, one another better when we are patient with ourselves and then patient with one another. Um, this is the part where I'm mostly flying without a net at this point or jumping without a net, flying without a propeller. I don't know. Let's see if we can land this together. I was thinking about some practices that have been really helpful in increasing my ability to be patient with myself, with others, with the process that of life. The first one um, is um, what I would call imprecatory writing. Uh, you know, in, there are tons of examples. Uh, what I read today could in a small way be an example of that, but David was um, writer of many of the Psalms was especially good at imprecatory writing. And basically that's where you let your feelings have a field day and no holds barred. You write exactly what you're, you're um, feeling. I'm going to say when I do imprecatory writing, I sound a lot like Roy Kent. There's, there's a lot of swears in there. There's a lot of, that's where the Roy Kent thing ends. But uh, I let myself write exactly what I'm feeling. And here's the thing. If you're going to do some imprecatory writing, here's like the pieces for it. You write no holds barred. You don't write. Sometimes it's really hard to be patient. Mm -mm, that's not imprecatory writing. You can write that for a journal that you want to save that one day down the road, you want somebody to know that you had times when it was hard to be patient. Mm. Imprecatory writing, you write and you don't reread it because you don't want to analyze it. it it's like getting poison that's going to kill you out of your body <laughs> and then you burn it or you flush it or you bury it. You get rid of it, not because it's something shameful, but because we're just creating an avenue for what's in us to find expression so that we can grab onto hope again. Second thing that can be really, really helpful when we're having feelings come up in our waiting is body movement. A really brisk walk can shift our mood. It, it, it gives the anger somewhere to go. Our bodies feel our emotions, whether we allow them expression or not. Body movement is a great way if you are able to do that. Third thing that I thought of was honoring your anger 
And again, with physical action, um, I have gone down to the river before and made sure there's like nobody around. Cause the thing is, these are all things that you want to do in a way that doesn't harm someone else, right? Like we don't do imprecatory writing and send it to someone, never, never, never. <laughs> but I have gone and like gone to the river and taken like big rocks and just thrown them into this, into the river and like said the things I was angry about while I was throwing. And it's just like, I can feel this weight leaving me because I'm just being honest. I'm just whoo, confessing to God what's really going on. And when I do that, it makes room for God to show up. It's like Angela Marlowe said, when we're honest and we move towards the discomfort, God comes near. That happens to Job. That happens to David. It happens to Mary. It happens over and over again. You cannot offend God. The fifth thing is um, to participate in justice. Believe the experience of marginalized people and become aware of how or if we are one with power to spare, that we might want to avoid justice by asking the ones oppressed for more patience. But instead, again, move that discomfort inward. Notice what comes in you, what, what's in you and in the system and the structures that needs to be seen, noticed, felt, and changed. And the last thing that has been so helpful for me was letting go of my beliefs about an angry God who was in a rush for me to get things right and stop making mistakes and just do the thing for Pete's sake, a God who is really angry and impatient with me. And instead discover the God who is so stable in God's self that they're unoffendable, they're unshakable. They're interested in our participation in the restoration of all things. And God never leaves us and forsakes us. God is always moving toward us. God isn't just presence. I think God is presence. And it's only when we slow down and live in what is right now can we start to cooperate with a present God and build the world that could be. Can you imagine if Mary, David, Abraham, Moses, take your person, if they tried to suppress their feelings, or if Mary had tried to polish her thoughts to make them more socially acceptable, or asked a man to speak for her because she is a woman after all, and palatable, if she tried to be palatable to those with too much power? <laughs> Here's basically my last thought about, about patience. A patience that circumvents justice and isn't allowed to express what is real is nothing more than a polished turd. It's good for nothing and it kind of stinks. We can do better. We can practice patience, being present to what is in the moment while we are waiting for the goodness of God to be revealed in the land of the living. Presence that practice radical self-acceptance and unconditional positive regard is going to change us. It's going to change our world. It's going to make room for the healing of God, the ways of God, and the people of God to flourish. And I want to participate in that. And I'd love 
for you to participate with me. Amen. Thank you so much, Karina, mom. It feels weird to say that like that. Um, if you want to switch to gallery view now, guys, we can have our Q&R question and response time. Fantastic. Well, then, should we declare it done? Karina, you want to pray for us before we tip out of here? Sure. sure. So, patient God, God who sees and who knows and who is present to God's own emotional reality and to our emotional experience as we wait to work out the good news of the kingdom. Be with us. Let us be aware of your presence with us in our moments, in our frustration, in our anger, in our sadness, in our avoidance. God, I pray that you would just bring your unshakable presence to us, that we would be reminded that in everything that running towards you and telling the truth about what's happening is our path to freedom. Amen. Amen. Okay, thanks everybody. Have a good week. And uh, thanks, y'all. Time. So long.